out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, that is such a true story. Hello, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show, once again, bringing the finest in indie pop. And um, yes, I've just been going through some archives of old interviews that um, have been, and I thought, well, I'll just, um, should just put them in a sort of a nice and easy to uh, digest segment, really, for your enjoyment. If you're so interested in this particular, or any of these particular um, bands, interviews, artists, etc. And this is one that I did with the drummer from the Bodines, the one and only... John Rowland. Um, so this is it. This is the interview, and um, I hope you enjoy it. The Bodines, one of the best bands of the 80s. And this is the beginning where I began by asking about the formation of the band and also the fact that um, John wasn't the original drummer. No, he came into the band a bit later. But anyway, all will be explained, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I, 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 I uh, grew up in Glossop. And um, I've, I've been in bands with with Mick from the Bodines um, before before the Bodines, and, and I, I'm I, I was originally from Manchester, but I moved to, to Glossop when I was a kid. Went to school in Glossop, and then I left again when I was seventeen. I, I just moved back to Manchester, but I was I was out in Glossop one night, and um, I, I, I was. In Manchester, where I was living in Withington, with a girl who was living at our house who works at the Hacienda, and uh, I knew Mick had this band. I'd, I'd seen a review in the, in, in the NME uh, and rung him up and you know t- told him that uh, if they uh, if they possibly if they wanted a gig at the Hacienda, you know, to come and drop a demo tape around at our house and I can pass it on. So that that happened, and then I was out in I was out in Glossop one night, and um, I saw Paul, and Paul said that they were, they were looking for a drummer and asked if I'd join. So that was just they recorded the first single at that point, then mixed it. So uh, yeah, yes, because your the first single was was a seven inch, which was titled "God Bless," and this was this out on Creation Records. Have I got my yeah? yeah. So with that, because obviously getting on Creation Records, I mean, I know that they, you know, it probably wasn't huge in the early days. In fact, it probably definitely wasn't. But then, um, yes, it did, because most bands struggle to get on the label. So obviously the Bodines had done something kind of magical or mystical to get there. Well, I, I think what had happened, they the, the recorded this demo again before I joined and um, they'd sent one to a, a guy... Um, who run a, a fanzine, Hungry Beat, and he passed on the demo to McGee, and um, McGee really liked it. And I think he, he they he went and saw him play a gig somewhere, I'm not sure where, and they got signed. You know, like two, they'd only done two or three gigs at that point, and they, they had a record deal with Creation. Now Creation at that time were obviously they weren't like a massive deal like they became later on with uh, some of the other bands that they had, but um, they had the Jesus and Mary chain, so they were, you know, they were, they were a big thing at the time. There weren't that many bands on there, but uh, it, was, it was pretty much kind of Mary chain driven, you know, the label kind of, kind of uh, ethos. 
Yes. And obviously, because um, having sort of been obsessed with the indie scene and, you know, listen to John Peel and then sort of buying the enemy on a Wednesday. I mean, I'm sort of looking back at it, you know, I put it very much down to the years of sort of 83 to sort of 87, which is basically the the lifespan of the Smiths, because they they kind of, for me, were such a big band of the 80s. And, and um, the Bodines were obviously very much around there. And being from that area you must have also picked up on things that were going on yeah i mean we we um we wanted to be a factory band we wanted to be on factory ideally um so we'd, we'd sent a, a, a demo to them and been turned turned down by them but um i mean i'm <sighs> I mean, the, the, the papers were always trying to build a scene. I mean, that's what music papers do. And I'm sure there was go, was one going on, but we didn't really feel kind of part of it. Uh, we, you know, we kind of considered a Manchester band, but, you know, we, we lived in a little town, or, the, you know, the rest of them did, uh, Glossop, which is about 15 miles outside of Manchester in Derbyshire. So we always felt a bit kind of out on a limb and not really kind of you know, attached to any scene, um, the creation would, you know, they're all, Alan McGee used to try and get us to wear the kind of creation uniform, leather pants and things like that. And, um, yeah, we, we just felt a bit kind of odd, really. We, we weren't really, we didn't consider ourselves to be attached to any scene. Yes. And what was the, I mean, it was kind of interesting seeing so many bands with that sort of particular sound. I mean, what did, were there sort of albums or bands that you were listening to that was also the case with all these other people that um, from other different combos that were going around at the time? Because I just often wonder, you know, what it was that, that sort of created a sound. And there was a production value at the time as well with this kind of, I suppose, the C86 and indie world from the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. There, there were quite a lot of bands, um, you know. It, it was kind of like the birth of indie. I mean, indie, indie at, at, at that point was, you know, used to be an independent record label, and now it's come to kind of define some kind of, you know, sound. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what guitar driven, I suppose, but. Um, um, yeah, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question again? Yeah, sort of. Your, your, I suppose what what was the sort of music that you were listening to when oh. you were growing up, and and sort of and and was that sort of the basis of what sort of inspired you to take up, you know, obviously in your case the drums, but also that kind of production sound of you know independent music in the eighties. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I think. Um, would you know all, all the bands kind of liked. Um, you know, the Velvet Underground, we're heavily into those. I mean, we like the Beatles. We were listening to a lot of um, rap and Prince and, and stuff like that as well. You know, we, we had quite a you know a broad uh, taste in music. Um, so, yeah, we, we, I can remember we, we were on, on tour in Germany. We, we only had, you know, days before iPods and... We had two tapes. We had, uh, one of them was Sly Stone, and the other one was The Temptations, and that was that's what we listened to all the way around Germany, you know, in the tour bus. So we listened to all sorts, kind of, you know. We weren't, um, you know, strictly uh, guitar music boys. 
Yes, and also at that time, and and it's the other thing that sort of probably gets a little bit forgotten, there's that sort of the social and political landscape of the early 80s, because you obviously had, you know, the Thatcher Tory government, you had, you know, then the miners, and then you had an awful lot of stuff to do with Green and Common, and and there was a huge amount of unemployment and people being on the, um, oh yes, Job Seekers Allowance, and and that kind of, oh, Enterprise Allowance, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, did, was that also part of the kind of the makeup of the banks i know with i spoke to a member of big flame and and i think they were they sort of formed the band mainly through unemployment and boredom because there was not much else to do so i just wondered if there was a was a bit of a scene like that that was going on during that period well i, th- I think that's uh, the, the, the fact that you could get the job seekers allowance and it kind of fostered you get people more time to work on you know bands or, or you know whatever they were doing you know um, and that isn't the case these days they're, they're trying to get you you know they want you um, they want you working not uh, fiddling around playing a guitar um, so yeah and you know obviously there was a lot of um, you know you had Thatcher at the, at, uh, at the time and the minor strike as you say and there's a lot of bands um, doing political stuff. Not you know people like Big Flame. We we didn't really um, we didn't uh, put any political commentary in the music at all. Yeah. But but um, yeah, I mean you know these days you don't get kids singing about politics very much anymore. The kids aren't really you know not not in the music anyway. You know. No. And also the other thing that I sort of dis- sort of found out and slightly discovered was that most bands have a quite a short lifespan of sort of four to five years. You know, they sort of get together, yeah. they make a bit of a sound, which, you know, they quite enjoy. And, and hopefully, you know, it gets played in front of their friends and family and other people that are feel emotionally sort of blackmailed to go along to. But then if, yeah. if, if John Peel picked it up and played it, that was kind of often the thing that gave them that bounce. And then a John Peel session and then the sort of the push for the album and a bit the tour around the country and obviously um the bodines had a, a sort of a similar lifespan didn't they yeah yeah it was kind of uh, quite a short uh, you know trajectory uh, a, a short lifespan um i think uh, i think i was in the band for about three and a half years i think the band i think they were, they were going for about five years and yeah one album a couple of singles and and, and that's it we were done Yes. And did you have a moment? Did you, was there ever a plan to, you know, where you wanted to take the band? Or was it, was it kind of, oh, we're just going to do it for one album and then we'll go? Or did you feel that, you know, you were hoping it to go further? Well, there was never any, any plan. I mean, this, this was the thing about it, really. Everything kind of fell into, into uh, our laps, um, you know, a couple of gigs and, and then uh, they got signed by, got signed by Creation and then, and then we got on, onto a major label, and we, you know, put an album out, and everything just kind of seemed very easy um, until your kind of popularity goes goes on the wane, and 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 then you know, it's suddenly you, you're playing to you know half the audience that you were playing to the year before. So there was there was no not really any plan. I mean, we you know we were like massively. 
you know, we had a record out. We'd, got, we'd put a record out. You know, that, that was like your ambition. And then, and then it was like, and then we got an album out. And then we went on tour abroad, abroad and, and making videos. And it was just, you know, it was just really exciting. And we, we, we didn't really plan anything ahead, no. Yes. And did you have a moment, you know, when you decided the band was going to stop? Well, not you, but the, the members of the band decided that was going to be it. Um, I don't know. I, I'd left. Um, uh, I left in 1988. I think we kept going for another year or so. Um, so I, I, I couldn't really tell you what, what the thinking was when when they decided to stop. Yes. I think it, I think it was in the face of, of, of you know um, <laughs> lack of interest from the public, really. Yes, and they must have been. But you did get onto that. Uh, um, a track onto the famous NME cassette C86. So that must have been quite a moment because obviously no one, because it was put together by Neil Taylor and I think Roy Carr, who sadly passed away recently. And obviously that became one of their biggest selling, um, uh, yes, cassettes. And then obviously it's been sort of brought out as a triple CD box set. So it must feel nice to have a track on that particular 22-track um, cassette. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we were dead pleased at the time. Um and it's, you know, I, I'm surprised that I'm, I'm sat here 30 odd years later, still, you know, still talk about it. it, it you know, it doesn't cease to amaze me. <laughs> yes, well, I suppose, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I was obsessed with it and then sort of probably went and sort of listened to other music and sort of got into other different sort of musical genres and, and sort of have recently come back to listening to more of it myself and also listening to bands that I missed the first time and being quite amazed with how much good music got made during that period. And, and I know that Cherry Red Records seems to have hoovered up most of these kind of little labels and bands. And I think it was before Christmas last year when they brought out a, a seven-CD collection from Manchester, kind of that post-punk indie world. So, again, Manchester seems to be a place that sort of was fantastic for creativity, yeah, I mean, I think Manchester's always produced good music. Uh, I've always had lots of bands here. You know, we, we've, there's so much good music going around. There always has been. We, I think the British people kind of take it for granted, you know. Um, you go abroad, obviously, other, other, you know, other places in New York, perhaps don't quite produce the, the same kind of quality of music or amount that we do. But, um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that's down to. Yes. <laughs> but it's interesting because being from Norwich in this area, you know, we don't have such an amazing sort of um, history of exciting bands. I mean, we've got a few, but I'd hardly say that you'd want to invest in a um, five-CD box set of, of the bands. <laughs> I don't know. The farm, well, the, the, we had the Farmers Boys and the Higsons, and I think serious well, drinking. There you go. It's a start, isn't it? Agricultural music. <laughs> it's so cool. But um, yeah, so what would you? I mean, so because a few years ago um, there was a compilation that came out with with um, the Bodines, wasn't there? There was there was one on Cherry Red and also Fire Station Records, who also. Um, bringing stuff out as well, which must be quite nice to see it. Or did Fire Station Records just bring out a single? Well, Fire Station, uh, Uwe, who, who runs Fire Station, um, uh, got in touch with me, uh, just 
asking if we had anything um, hanging around, lying around that uh, we hadn't released. And we had this demo that we'd, we'd done um, towards the end of the, the band's life um, with the great Stuart James, a friend of ours who passed away recently, a couple of years ago. Um, and we had this demo, you know, it was, it, was, it was fairly rough and ready, but uh, it still sounded all right, I thought. So I, I sent him the, um, this uh, recording of it, and uh, he really liked it and asked if he could put it out as a single. So, yeah, they, they put it out, I think, three tracks, they put it out as a single about, uh, about 10 or 11 years ago, and that's a long time now. It's, yes, true, actually. And then, obviously, Cherry Red, who was so good at these things. I mean, that was the other point that um, I didn't realise or appreciate was this kind of the ownership of music. So how did the Bodines cope with that world of publishing and keeping hold of their the music they created? Well, I mean, we never had a publishing deal. We always, for some reason, I think our manager, Nathan, um, thought we would be better off hanging on to the rights to, to the songs ourselves. So, I mean, I have no idea what goes on with, uh, with Cherry Red. They, you know, um, they seem to be put, as you say, seem to be putting out, up, out uh, a lot of these old bands, uh, tracks, uh, albums, whatever. Um, and I, I, I honestly don't know where we stand with the rights for that. I mean, we've had a, you know, like a little bit of royalty money, not, you know, I stress a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should lawyer up. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think most people get kind of occasionally a £60 cheque that they have to divide amongst five members and go, wow, that's amazing. Should we just give it to charity instead? And yeah. that's the end of that, really, because it just is, kind of makes people laugh at it. And obviously it's quite, I mean, for the fan like me, you know, actually Cherry Red's been great because otherwise it would all sort of just disappear. So I suppose... Um, yes, it's a bit of a relief that it's kind of been somehow archived. And also, actually, the other thing is, um, did you keep in touch with the members of the Bodines? Because as a fan, you sometimes wonder how how the dynamic and, and what happened to some of the characters. Yeah, well, uh, Mick, uh, Mick, Paul and Tim all moved back to Glossop. I mean, the, the, I think after the band finished, they, they lived in... Um, different places but everybody it's weird Glossop most people who grow up there you know they can't wait to get out and as soon as they get married and have kids they move back um but uh, yeah so I've seen Mick uh occasionally I've not been for a drink with him for a while but uh see him occasionally Paul I'm kind of friends with on Facebook uh although he's uh, a bit of a uh, right winger and we don't see eye to eye politically um, and Tim's Tim's not been massively well and I haven't seen him for a while yes. and what would you say to your kind of 18 year old self if you were able to impart some kind of wisdom after your experience of being in the band well I think if, if, if we had the time again um, I, I, I'd, I'd have just uh, we should have just worked harder. Everything, everything came too easy. We just took it all for granted, really. That you know, you would just kind of progress and carry on, and you know, um, 
So we didn't work that hard. You know, we, we should have been like rehearsing every day and, and, you know, working on new material and stuff. But uh, we just kind of, you know, we we're all a bit lackadaisical about it, really. Yes. And do you ever sort of, because I know there's been a few bands, well, quite a few now, who after 30 years have managed to sort of um, plug their guitars and drums in like it and have a, a bit of a play again and are quite enjoying it. Have you ever been tempted with Bodines? Well, a few years ago, how long ago was it? Uh, probably um, within the last 10 years, there was, uh, I think we had kind of offers of gigs in, in Germany and possibly Japan and stuff. And um, we did think about it. We actually got as far, I think at the time, Paul, the guitarist, was living in Australia, but he was due back. And we went. We actually got as far as having uh, a rehearsal with me, Mick, and Tim in Manchester. And it went really well, actually. But um, kind of outside circumstances uh, caused it to uh, fizzle out. Oh, I'm glad in a way, really. It's a, it's a bit depressing seeing some of these these older bands kind of getting back together again. Although, having said that, I mean. Uh, the band I was in after the, the Bodines, the Rain Kings, uh, we split up about about 20 years ago. And, but, uh, and then there was a, a movie out uh, five or six years ago, Spike Island. Uh, and and one, of our, one of our records was, was uh, picked up for the soundtrack, which was always one of my ambitions, so a, a, a song in a film, so I was really pleased. But then uh, there was kind of a bit of a... a Reinterested in the band, and we got back together, and we did a we did a few records and a few gigs, but now that's finished again. So, yeah, it's a weird world, isn't it? Actually, because actually, the one thing that I hadn't appreciated that much and took them a bit for granted was you two, in the sense of like thinking, you know, they were okay. The first couple of albums were quite interesting, but the fact that they managed to a keep it going and. Um, and see the big picture, I suppose I do sort of realise now, having spoke to so many people, actually they did a really good, they did a good job sort of doing it. They sort of realised they did have to keep working and they had to keep their personalities in check and get on with it. And um, I'm slightly amazed because at the time I thought, you know, they're not going to last, they're not that good, but um, they're still with us and have become part of the fabric, haven't they? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they're still with us. Yes. They are going to be with us till the end, I'm afraid. But yeah, so what? What sort of bit of the Bodines? What particular song still makes you smile when you occasionally hear it? Oh, uh, you know, I, I never, I never ever listened to it, uh, to to the old stuff. Um, somebody messaged me last night actually saying that we were on um, playing some old session on Six Music. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, occasionally I'll, you'll hear Therese somewhere. You know, I've got I've, I've got a friend who, who DJs, and um, it's, it's like a young, a young guy, twenty years younger than me, and he's really into his reggae and stuff like that. But uh, occasionally I'll go to one of his his, his DJing gigs, and he'll, he'll always bang it on to embarrass me. You know, but um, yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, obviously, John Peel must have played a huge part in the the sort of promotion of the band and and sort of giving you that sort of moment to um, kind of spread your wings, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, 
you know, like you, we were all John Peel fans, used to listen to it at night, uh, in bed when I was a school kid. So to get on there was, you know, to get a Peel session. I mean, we actually, we, we uh, the first time I ever heard it was on the radio, it was on, on a, a Janice Long show. And she, um, I think we did a couple of sessions for her before we did a, a Peel session. But, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, you know, getting getting support from from uh, DJs on the radio was always a, a a big thing at the time. Yeah. Yes, and obviously Manchester then became such a sort of cool place. I mean, it might have been cool in the eighties, but suddenly, by the latter half, you know, everybody was just going on about Manchester. So you must have been a bit surprised because obviously, because a lot of bands they had that eighties kind of period of being in the, you know, the indie scene. See. But then when the dancing came and then you had this Seattle grunge scene, a lot of those indie bands just didn't cope, apart from people like the Happy Mondays, obviously, and the Stone Roses, the Farm, and the Soup Dragons, bizarrely. Though the Farm came along with it later. But um, obviously those bands were able to adapt and adopt and get into the sort of the, the musical zeitgeist at the time. So you must have been kind of chuffed for your home city. Uh, yeah, although, you know, that's the Manchester thing... Uh... <laughs> all the all these uh, uh, kids from uh, you know going to university in Manchester turning up and uh, buying themselves a bucket hat and, and, and getting themselves a, a strong Manchester accent two days after living there. Uh, yeah, you know, it, 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 I I kind of stopped going out in in town by that time. I mean, I I was you know a hacienda boy, but. Uh, I think stopped going to the Hacienda just as the dance music thing kicked in. Um, so that all kind of passed me by a bit, really. You know, I've, I've, yeah, yeah, I was staying, I was in the house uh, reading the paper and watching TV rather than being out clubbing it at the time. Yes, because obviously, with because being part of the Hacienda in the early years, you must have seen all those classic bands that we all grew to love and also i think did madonna have one of her first performances at the hacienda as well yeah yeah my, my sister um used to run the um, the cafe in the, in the hacienda at the time so she she fed madonna madonna that night when they were on there it was a, it was a tube special wasn't it yes that's right yeah. and there was this new singer from new york that yeah went, that we all thought, yeah, she'll she'll be five minute wonder, but she wasn't. There you go. But yeah, so the so you obviously were all part. I say all part, but you know the whole Tony Wilson um, kind of phenomena as well. Uh, well, I mean, you know, uh, we always uh, always loved the uh, Factory, and uh, as I said, we'd sent the demos to them. We really wanted to be on Factory, but uh, they're not just back, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you had a massive input in the town. You know, the Hacienda was so influential. Was getting, like, say, getting. I mean, before the Hacienda, they had the Russell Club in Hume, where they used to put on, you know, all, all, all the best bands around at the time. You know, the American bands coming over and touring and playing there as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a massive uh, uh, influence on Manchester, and uh, you know, a big, a big leg up putting us on the on the map kind of musically and, and as a you know as a, a, the nightclub centre of uh, <coughs> yes <laughs> Well, bizarrely, I think when Norwich, I mean, there's a couple of venues and we've got one called the Waterfront. And I think it, they based it on the sort of 
the d design of the hacienda or had the architect who did the hacienda to come and sort of do this one at the uh, in Norwich. So obviously it kind of spread. Everybody wanted a bit of the hacienda, especially for their, um, I don't know, tourist information and student population, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, really influential. influential but I mean, they, they, I think they took their, they were, they were um, New Order and Wilson and Ben Kelly, the, the architect, were all influenced by uh, New York uh, nightclubs, uh, dancers area, and, and, and places heaven and places like that, which were like, you know, kind of in, in big warehouses. Yes, interesting so, stuff. Yeah. Yes.